Thank you for joining me here today. My name is Jared Kirk, and I'm the pastor of Renewal Church. We're finishing up our series called Our Place in Our World, and I'm very glad that you're here today. We're talking about sharing your faith in an enlightened world. And it can be incredibly difficult to share your faith sometimes, but I feel like context matters so much. It's very different when you are talking about your faith with your five-year-old nephew than when you're talking with your 50-year-old coworker. It's very different when you're talking about your faith with um, someone who's so close to you in your family, like your mom or your dad, or you're talking about your faith with your neighbor who lives across the hall from you or across the street from you. Context matters so much. So today what we're gonna talk about is the context in which we're sharing our faith, and then I'm gonna share with you four principles for sharing my faith, four principles for sharing your faith, that work regardless of the context, that are just true because they're true, because they come from the word of God. But first I wanna talk a little bit about context, because, and we're gonna zoom way out of life, we're gonna look at the society that we're sharing our faith in, because 50 years, ago, 50 years ago in America, it was a different sort of context. Billy Graham was still doing his crusades, and he would fill up stadiums with 150,000 people and then just tell them, God is love. And then people would just, everybody come down to the front. Um, it's not quite like that anymore. So what are we living through? What's the context? Now, there's, to understand context, there's four lenses that people use to make decisions and evaluate ideas. These are lenses that you use. These are lenses that everyone uses. And they are reason, tradition, experience, and scripture. And each person or group of people prioritizes a different lens. So let me just explain that for a second. Back in medieval times, in the Middle Ages, people prioritized the lens of tradition over almost anything else. They, they prioritized it over reason, over experience, over scripture. So you could find um, interesting examples of this in the Catholic Church. Like in the, in, the, in the New Testament, it would say, call no man father. It actually says that in the Bible. And yet every priest in the Catholic Church in the Middle Ages was referred to as father. You can see in that just little example a prioritizing of tradition. The Middle Ages gave way to the Age of Enlightenment. Now, the Age of Enlightenment between the 1600s and the late 1800s was just a completely um, radical um, reorienting towards authority in the world. So uh, politics, science, philosophy, and communications are all radically altered. And what happens is essentially people begin to embrace rationalism. So the, the lens through which they look at the world, reason becomes the most important. The motto of this time was given by Immanuel Kant in his What is Enlightenment, 1784. Here's the quote. He says, dare to know, have courage to use your own reason. And so they prioritize the lens of reason above everything. Now, it turns out that the problem with prioritizing reason and rationality above everything else is that people will use reason to rationalize anything, anything. And the culmination of the Age of Enlightenment was actually the 20th century in which more innocent people died than in all of human history combined up to that point because people were rationalizing what they were doing. Now, the collapse of the Enlightenment in the 20th century gives way to postmodernism, And the motto of this time comes from Jacques Derrida, where he says, essentially, all truth, all truth claims are power plays. And like all great quotes from history, he didn't exactly say it, <laughs> but he said something close to it. If the Enlightenment ideal was facts don't care about your feelings, the postmodern ideal is something like, my feelings 
don't care about your facts. It's a prioritization of experience over everything. Okay, now, to be a Christian in any age is to prioritize the lens of Scripture above the others. So we use our reason and rationality. We believe God has given that to you on purpose so that you use that and engage with it. God has given you the experiences of your life and your emotional capacities so that you can use that. And the traditions handed down to us are often phenomenal, beautiful, good things. But we give priority to the scriptures and we honor the Bible as the word of God. Now here's why I think this is important. Because if you do not prioritize scripture as the lens through which you look at the world... Eventually what happens is, instead of being a person who's made in God's image, we become people who make God in our image. And when we start thinking up God, he starts uh, sounding an awful lot like us. And he seems to agree with all the things we agree with. And he seems to dislike all the things we dislike. And it strikes me that every evil person in human history thought God was on their side. The only way to escape from this is to let God define who God is. And that's why we give the priority to Scripture as Christians. Now, this is not just a modern problem. This has happened as long as there were humans. And and as you might suspect, this is a problem that the Bible talks about. In the book of Romans, roughly 2,000 years ago, uh, chapter 1, verses 20 through 22, here's what it says. It says, for ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and the sky through everything God has made. They can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power and his divine nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. Yes, they knew God, but they did not worship him as God, or even give him thanks. And they began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. As a result, their minds became dark and confused. Claiming to be wise, they instead became utter fools. You see, God God existed before us. He will exist after us. He can be known because he wants to make himself known. He wants you to know who he is and what he's like. He wants you to know what he loves and how he loves You will not know everything there is to know about God, but you can know him enough to trust him. You can know him enough to have faith in him and believe in him. Now think about this as we talk about sharing our faith in an enlightened world. This is what's so fascinating to me, is you can be talking to someone about faith, and they may may prioritize one of these lenses above the other. So here's three common responses when you're sharing your faith with someone. And see if you can hear what kind of lens they prioritize, what kind of lens they see the world through. Here's a a common response when you talk about your faith. Number one, how can you possibly believe in God in the face of all we have learned about our universe? Well, that's someone who prioritizes reason, rationality, right? Or here's another response. Whatever you believe is fine with me as long as it doesn't hurt anyone. Well, that's prioritizing Experience, essentially, isn't it, right? It works for you. That's a good experience for you, right? Or number three, if you share about your faith, here's the third possible answer. You are wrong, and here is the truth about God. And this is someone who prioritizes the traditions that were passed down to them about who God is and what he's like. And these responses 
in the context of our society, have effectively made most Christians hesitant to share their faith. Just don't want to bring it up. Don't want to talk about it. Don't want to be known for it. And we've probably all been there where we talked about faith and it didn't go well. And we know that feeling. So into this increasingly complex context, I want to give you four principles today for sharing your faith. So take out your notes with me, if you will, and open up to the inside front cover of your notes. Four principles for sharing my faith. Here's the first one that work in any context. First principle, my prayers are more important than my words. My prayers are more important than my words. Now, as a Christian, we shouldn't do anything important without talking to God or listening to God first. And, and here's, a, here's a thought and a principle that you've got to carry with you through your life. You have to talk to God about people before you talk to people about God. Because what we're actually doing when we're, when we're sharing our faith with someone is you're, you're not going to talk anyone into this. You're not going to convince someone that supernatural thing is. So God has to be involved in this process. You've got to pray because God needs to prepare them to hear. And God also needs to prepare you to speak. And that's the job of the Holy Spirit. So we start with prayer and we lead with prayer. Now listen to this verse from 1 Timothy. And, and I want you to hear the emphasis in this entire, um, it's four verses. And just hear the way that prayer saturates this. It declares, I urge you, first of all, to pray for all people. So the, what's the first thing you do? Pray. Ask God to help them intercede on their behalf. Intercede is just a stained glass word that means pray on behalf of another person. And give thanks for them. Pray this way for kings and all who are in authority so that we can live peaceful and quiet lives marked by godliness and dignity. This is good and pleases God our Savior who wants most people to be saved. Who wants everyone to be saved and to understand the truth. God wants everyone to be saved. And part of prayer is growing that faith and confidence in your, in your own heart that God wants everyone to be saved. That there's nobody too far gone, there's nobody who's too bad, there's nobody who just is, there's no one so far away that God's given up on them. There is no one on this earth of seven, eight, nine billion people, however many of us there are, that God has given up on because he wants everyone to be saved. And prayer reminds us of that. So before you think of sharing your faith with someone, pray for them first. And I know that because when, when we told you that we were talking about sharing, sharing your faith in an enlightened world today, that God has already put some people on your heart. That God has already put a name in your mind of someone that you need to pray for. Maybe they're family members. Maybe they're friends or coworkers. Maybe they're neighbors. Maybe it's just someone that you've developed a special connection with, someone that you do your hobby with, but someone that God has put on your heart. And today I'm going to ask you to commit to pray for them. And I would also say this, you know, there may be someone in your life that you've given up on praying for. Someone that for years you prayed, God, I, 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 
I deeply desire this person to know about the hope of Jesus in their life. But somewhere along the way, you gave up hope and you've stopped praying. And I wanna, I wanna challenge you today to re-engage with the prayer for that. Now, in your notes, it says my prayer list. So I want you to make sure you've got your notes in front of you. And I want you to write down the names of God, uh, I want you to write down the names of people God has put on your heart right now. I want you to take a few minutes and write down a couple names. If you're here today and you're investigating Jesus and Christianity, maybe you need to write your own name down and just say, I need to pray that God would show himself to me. But for those of you who have already placed your faith, then write down some names on there. Pray that God begins to work on their heart, but also pray that God begins to work on your heart and make sure you're in the right place before you share your faith with them. So here's what we're gonna do. In our message time today, right now, we're gonna take a few minutes and pray for those people. So um, I'm gonna give you a moment quietly to pray. And then I'm going to pray for those people and I'm going to pray for you. So let's take just a minute. Let's do that right now. God, I pray that you would be at work in the lives of the, the names that have been written down. I pray that you would prepare them to hear. And I pray for the people in this room that you would prepare them to speak. That you would give them the courage and boldness to share their faith in Jesus um, and the confidence to know that they're not pointing towards themselves, but they're pointing to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, as the message progresses, I'm going to ask you to do something with those names. Before, before the offering today, I'm going to ask you to transfer those names over to the connection card as well. And the reason is, if, if you feel comfortable doing that, the reason is, as a staff, we want to pray with those people for you, and we also want to pray for you. So you'll have your notes, and you'll have the names in here, and then we want to join you in prayer for that as well. So you can do that before the offering comes by today. So the first point, the first principle, excuse me, My prayers are more important than my words. Here's the second principle. My attitude is more important than my words. I'll never forget when I had first become a Christian, I was so excited about my faith. I didn't grow up in a Christian home. Um, Mom is uh, Jewish and irreligious, and dad is Protestantly irreligious. And so we just didn't really do any type of spirituality in the home at all. And I had just become a Christian. I was so excited, and I went to go share my faith with my mom, and it was a total disaster. (laughs) It did not go well because I was so excited. I was so hyped up. I was so passionate, but it came across as um, self-righteousness. It came across almost as hurtful, and it did some damage to that relationship that even makes it difficult for us to talk about faith to this day. You see, I was excited about my faith, but I had not learned the lesson of humility. The attitude that you bring when you share your faith is so powerful. Listen to um, Ephesians 3.8. It says, just think, though I did nothing to deserve it, and though I am the least deserving Christian there is, I was chosen for this special joy of telling others about the endless treasures available to them in Christ. That was written by perhaps the greatest 
uh, what we would say evangelist, whoever lives, someone who shares their faith with other people, the Apostle Paul. That attitude is so important. You know, you have to understand that we don't deserve God's forgiveness. We didn't earn his grace or his help. We don't deserve the privilege of telling others about God, but God has given us the command and the privilege of telling others, but we have to do so with humility. 1 Peter 3 says it this way. If someone asks about your Christian hope, always be ready to explain it, but do this in a gentle and respectful way. Gentle and respectful is how it should feel. But if you're wondering about what you should say, what's the content when you share your faith, that little phrase, Christian hope, does it all. It says it all. That when we talk about our faith in Jesus, that we're not talking about it from a place of condemnation, but we're talking about it from a place of hope. That we have this, this hope that God has wiped the slate clean. That when you know Jesus, you get um, a million second chances. That when you know God, that there is a future, there is a hope for you, there is an eternity for you, there is an inheritance saved in heaven ready for you. That that is hope that we share with other people. And one of the best ways to share that hope with other people is to share your, your faith story with them. Uh, we have an old-timey religion word for that, your testimony. <laughs> you share your testimony. It just means your story of how, uh, how your life was before you came to faith, what God has done in your life, and then how God has blessed you and shown you favor and how he is working in your life now. That's your faith story, your testimony. And most Christians have never written down their faith story. Most Christians have never talked about it. They've never thought about it. Um, and you know, as a church, we want to give you the tools you need to fulfill your God-given calling and purpose in this world. So we put a resource together to help you write your faith story. So now is actually a pretty good time. Take out the connection card that's in your notes, if you would. And on the back, there's a box that says, send me the resource on writing my story. And here's what it is. It's, it's a page with questions that prompt you in your thinking about your faith story so that you can write your own story. If you want that right resource, you just check the box, drop this in the offering basket when it comes by, and we'll make sure you get that this week. Because your attitude is important, and you need to be able to share the hope you have clearly and concisely. All right, the third principle. We had said, before I share my faith, I pray I make sure I have the attitude of humility, and here's the third principle. My character is more important than my words. It's pretty hard to tell people how God has changed your life if you're not living a changed life. Who you are has to match what you say, or else what you say loses its power. Now, isn't this even true of a boss or a leader at work? Their life has to match their words or else people lose respect for them. And if you're a Christian and people know that you're a Christian, they are watching you. Have you ever noticed this? It might, uh, people in your workplace that they may not, they may say, I don't believe anything you say, but they sure do expect you to act like you believe what you say. <laughs> They're watching your life. And sometimes the people who are the most skeptical are the most critical. And so there has to be some alignment. Now, we're not talking about being perfect, but if there's too big of a gap between what you say and how you live, there will be no power in what you say. 
Listen to Matthew 3, 8. It talks about this. It says, prove by the way you live that you have repented of your sins and turned to God. Now, repentance is one of those stained glass glass words in the Bible. It just means to turn around. It means to do a U-turn. So where you used to love sin and find sin fun and, and And instead, now you hate it, you want to root it out of your life, you want to run away from it. That's what repentance means. It means you've turned away from sinful behavior. It doesn't mean you never sin anymore, but you are fighting it. And so how we live has to line up with what we say we believe. And we have to avoid hypocrisy. I don't know about you, but I hate hypocrisy. And I don't know about you, but the people that I've worked with in my life hate hypocrisy, and they can smell it from a a thousand miles away like sharks in the water. If you're living like a non-Christian, it's going to be really hard to talk about your faith, and and it's going to be hard for people to take you seriously. No one should be surprised when you tell them that you're a Christian, and if people around you do not know that you have faith in Jesus, why is that? Why is that? Well, one reason I've discovered over the years is that you've got this sin sitting in your life that you've never confessed, you've never asked for forgiveness for, and it's, it's causing a barrier in your relationship with God, and it is stealing all of the boldness out of your life when it comes to sharing your faith with other people. You know, the good news of the Bible is that if you confess your sins... 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so I want to give you a chance today in the message to confess that sin to God. All right, who's going to stand up and go first? I'm just kidding. Come on. I was really worried that I might get a hand there, right? Um, No, here's the thing. Here's the thing. Um. God offers forgiveness to those who come to him through Jesus. So I do. I want us to take a quiet moment right now and give you a moment of silence to confess that sin to God and ask for his forgiveness. And after we do that, I'm going to pray for you, okay? Let's take a second and do that right now. God, I thank you that in Jesus, um, though our sins were like crimson, now uh, we are white as snow. That where before we felt like we had to hide from God, now we can have peace with God. And that in Jesus, there is no sin that is greater than his life and death and resurrection. Thank you for that forgiveness. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, if you, didn't, if you couldn't think of a sin to confess, that's just the sin of pride. So next time you've got one, right? We've all got, we've all got it, man. You know, while we're talking about character, I want to bring up a really famous quote that is always brought up when people talk about sharing their faith. And it has to do with this idea of having that your character is more important than your words. It's from St. Francis of Assisi. And maybe you've heard the quote. It says, um, not that quote. It says, he says, Preach the gospel at all times with words if necessary. Maybe you've heard him say that. There's two problems with this. The first problem is that, like all great quotes from history, 
He never said it. Right? That's, the, that's the first problem. Now, let me show you what he actually said. Andy, hit me. No brother should preach contrary to the form and regulations of the Holy Church, nor unless he has been permitted by his minister. All of the friars should preach by their deeds. Essentially, what he's saying, if you read the full context, is that your character and your actions should match your words. In fact, he was a preacher who would preach five times a day many times. So the first problem with that quote is that he never said it. The second problem with that is that it goes exactly opposite to what the Bible says. Nowhere does the Bible say that we shouldn't use our words to share. In fact, the Bible says the exact opposite, that we should be using our words. And of course, it also says that our life has to match up with it. So, this leads us to the final principle, sharing my faith. Number four, my words are important. Your prayers are more important than your words. Your attitude is more important than your words. Your character is more important than your words. Your words are important. It's not enough to live out your faith. You also have to share your faith verbally. Romans 10, 13 through 14 makes the point through a series of rhetorical questions. It says, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they've never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? We have a responsibility to tell people about Jesus. It's actually hateful not to talk to someone about Jesus. Um, you guys have probably heard of Penn Jillette. He's a comedian and a magician from Penn and Teller. And he had this experience several years ago where a man came up to him after a show and gave him a Bible. Now, Penn is a famous atheist. He actually wrote a book just about his atheism. But when this man came up and shared a book with him, a, a Bible with him, he recorded this video from his laptop right afterwards here. Take a look at this video. And he was truly complimentary. It wasn't in any way, it didn't seem like empty flattery. He was really kind and nice insane and looked me in the eyes and talked to me and then gave me this Bible. And I've always said, you know, that I, I don't respect people who don't proselytize. I don't respect that at all. If you believe that there's a heaven and hell and people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life or whatever, and you think that, uh, well, it's not really worth telling them this because it would make it socially awkward. And atheists who think that people shouldn't proselytize, just leave me alone, keep your religion to yourself. Uh, how much do you have to hate somebody to not proselytize? How much do you have to hate somebody to believe that everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? I mean, if I believed beyond a shadow of a doubt that a truck was coming at you and you didn't believe it, that truck was bearing down on you, there's a certain point where I tackle you. And this is more important than that. If God has saved you and he's given you meaning and purpose in your life, he makes eternal life possible for you, how much do you have to hate someone to keep the good news from them? Here's the thing. There are people in your life right now that God has put in your life on purpose for you to share the good news about Jesus with them. It's not your pastor's job. I don't know those people. Right? It's not some 
traveling evangelist job, we don't even have those anymore. God has put you in their life to share the good news of Jesus with them. You are the best person to tell them about Jesus. Your life may be the only Bible they ever read. Your words may be the only gospel they ever hear. God has put you there for this purpose, an eternal purpose. And as your pastor, it's my job to help equip you and challenge you to embrace this God-given purpose for your life. I can't do it for you. I wouldn't do it for you. My job is to help you step into your God-given calling. You know, earlier, I asked you to write down names in your worship guide, and I hope you did that. Um, and I do want to encourage you to, ch- to transfer those names over to your connection card, because I want to pray with you, but just as importantly, I want to pray for you. As your pastor, I want to pray for you. Our staff wants to pray for you, that God would give you the courage and the boldness to speak. Next week, we're starting a brand new series called Work Matters. And maybe the next step is you need to invite them to come to Work Matters. And we'll be talking about, we'll we'll be touching on dealing with difficult people, managing stress in your life, finding balance, defining success. There's a million problems. You know, the answer is always the same. Jesus. And so maybe you need to invite them to come. And we want to pray for you as you pray for them. Sharing your faith in an enlightened world can be very scary, but it is what Jesus commands us to do. You know, I skipped the memory verse earlier. Um, Here it is. Mark 16, 15 says, Go into all the world and preach the good news to everyone. That's the command from Jesus. But to close, I just want to ask you this question is, why, if you're a follower of Jesus, why would you engage with this? I think there's some good reasons, but I think there's also a best reason. You know, a good reason is because Jesus commands you to do it. You know, so if you say, you know, Jesus, I love Jesus. He is, he's incredible. He has told me I have to go do this thing, so I care about Jesus, so I'm going to go do this thing because I have to. I don't think that's a bad reason. I think that's a good reason but it's not the best reason. You know, another good reason, a very good reason, is that you care about the people God's put in your life. You know, I I live on a a street in Boston. It's super bizarro world. Everybody knows each other. Our kids play together. I mean, we have good relationships with our neighbors, and I've started to really love this weird ragtag Sesame Street bunch of people that are my neighbors. They're, you know, they're weird. They think I'm weird because I'm the minister, right? But I love these people, and I want them to know about Jesus, and I, I'm worried that, um, you know, if I, if I don't take that step of boldness in their life, that don't, they're never going to hear about Jesus. And I think that's a good reason, too. But you know what I think the best reason is? The best reason is grace. When God has worked in your life 
and he's forgiven you of every fault and flaw. For all the the secret sins and the public sins. For every time you should have talked about your faith, but you didn't talk about your faith. And he, he absolutely wipes your slate clean, gives you a fresh start and a new life in Jesus. He gives you eternal life. When your heart is absolutely full of gratitude and joy to God, that is a great reason to share. Because of how deeply he has loved you. And you want other people to know that same love. You know, the flip side of that is to be ashamed about God. And the Bible has some very scary words about that. Jesus said um, that if you're ashamed of him here on earth, God would be ashamed, that he would be ashamed of you in heaven. Strong words from Jesus. To get to that point, it will not be enough to just rely on your reason. To get to that point to share, it will not be enough just to rely on the traditions or the faith of your parents or your grandparents. To get to that faith, it's not even enough to rely on your experiences or to be emotionally engaged in the work. You must stand on the word of God that says you are loved, you are, um, you are a new creation in Christ, and that you are God's priceless treasure. So I want us as a church to walk out of here today making this last verse a statement of fact in our lives. Romans 1.16. For I am not ashamed of this good news about Christ. It is the power of God at work saving everyone who believes.